Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another edition of the Busby Bay podcast. This annoying voice you're hearing, and not the sweet, sultry voice of Colin Dams, is uh, me, Nathan Heinschel. I will be hosting today. Colin is out with a prior engagement, but joining me, as always, is Polly Questel. Polly, Manchester United are first in the Premier League. How are we feeling? Well, my question is, what are the vibes like now that you're in place of Colin? So, like, what are the vibes for you that, like, you get to kick off the show, but also that Colin's not here? Well, you know, the vibes kind of, they're interchangeable simply because now I'm not a panelist, I'm the host. So I don't, I actually am not supposed to talk as much. So then nobody has to wonder, like, why is Nathan not talking at all during the podcast? It's because I'm hosting, not because I don't know what I'm doing. Right, or not because you didn't watch the match. I watched this match. I live tweeted <laughs> it. For all those who follow the Busby Babe on on Twitter, I hope you enjoyed uh, Saturday's festivities. That was my first Premier League game that I've been allowed to uh, tweet. Our previous overlord, Brent, would never share the Twitter password. And our new benevolent leader, Colin Dams, has seen fit to make me uh, part of the social team for the Busby Babe. And I, I felt like I was just hitting heaters the whole day. I, I feel like you're going to watch a lot more games now because you could spit memes out the entire time. <laughs> I'll certainly feel a lot more engaged. Certainly, It's not going to be because the team's fun and the team's winning. It's simply because you could spit out memes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all those times I was reading the, or writing the match reports, wasn't as engaged in the games as I am when I'm, I'm making You're going to end up like remember Like I, I was telling somebody, well, I was at the bar on Sunday and we were, or Saturday and we were talking about, I was like, I basically remember games from last season based on like, where I watched them. Was I at the bar? Were we sitting indoors? Were we sitting outdoors? Was it a, you know, was it a 60 degree day or a 20 degree day where we were bundled up sitting outdoors to watch this thing? You're going to remember matches at the end of the year. You're going to, it's going to be like, Oh, Southampton home. That was the match. I put out this meme. Yep. Yeah. United versus Leeds. I tweeted out a Millie rock and raccoon at halftime. Like who's going to forget that? Not me. Yeah. It's going to be all about the meme for you. But as previously mentioned, one of the reasons why I, Nathan Heinsch, was tweeting out nothing but straight heaters was because uh, Manchester United was doing nothing but creating straight heaters on the pitch at Old Trafford. Um, an interesting lead up to the game, uh, of course, one of the big storylines from the weekend, and we got to experience it first on Friday night uh, when Brentford, newly promoted, got to host Arsenal in their relatively new stadium, um, having full capacity stands back. Clearly a huge, huge advantage, one for home teams and a welcome site. I think for most everybody who um, is sort of like still kind of freaking out over the Delta variant, but also putting that aside for a second to just enjoy how great it is to see so many people back in the stands. Old Trafford was on fire. I mean, it, it looks so good. And uh, Manchester United deciding that it was the perfect time to announce Rafael Varane is officially a member of the squad by trotting him out at half or pre, right before kickoff as he held out his uh, new number 19 shirt. What were your initial thoughts and how were the vibes feeling, Polly, you know, pre kickoff as you watched Rafael Varane walk out with that shirt? Yeah, I do find it funny that everybody is kind of all, hey, we got to worry about the Delta variant. And then you like go and see the match and you go, oh, you know what? This is worth it. It's kind of like the, the absolute uh, scenes. COVID, it's like when they make rules saying like restaurants have to close at 10. It's like, oh, right, because COVID only spreads after 10 o'clock. And um, with all the exceptions to travel, COVID doesn't spread to naturalized citizens and COVID doesn't spread to 
UEFA executives who get uh, exceptions to travel to London to watch big matches. Um, but then again, they are outdoors, so can only harm so much. You just have to figure out a way to get them from the outdoor seats to outside the, the ground within the confines of that whole in really small secluded area indoors in the stadium. Well, you know, the storming of Old Trafford last season was kind of a test case of how many people could you fit in the stands at one time and it not be a super <laughs> spreader event. So we got that out of the way. Um, but yeah, fans back in the stands, how were the vibes? I, I said this at work the other day that I'm, I'm just starting to feel old because we were talking about highlights and lowlights of the week and everybody had things. And I was like, I don't even remember the week. <laughs> and like, I don't even remember walking in ultra. I, I, actually, I do. I do. Um, the vibes were good. I was riding a bike to the bar and I was a couple blocks away. And these two guys in United shirts saw me riding a bike and they, you know, started cheering at me. And I was like, yeah, I'll talk to you later. I'm, I'm sure we're going to the same place. They, they did walk in 10 minutes after me. Um, it was good. We had a good vibe of a lot of like nice to see you. Haven't it's been a hot minute since you know the end of May for yeah. some, the end of the mid mid July for others. And I, th- Rafael Varane kind of he snuck in there. I think they did a better job presenting that in the UK than they did in the United States. Um, but I thought it was very well done. Yeah, you'll get you get the crowd wound up. Everybody bitching and moaning for three days on social media about United not being able to unveil this guy. And then they do it in the best way. Like sometimes you just got to have some faith. Like Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is running this since Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer has arrived. He has gotten the back end of the club to really get its act together and get more serious. So it's not, he is himself running the club this way, but he has gotten the people running the club to be a much more serious outfit. And, you know, sometimes they get things right and just have some faith. Well, it was a kind of an interesting juxtaposition, too, because the reaction to the Messi unveiling video was kind of mixed. I think a lot of people um, recognize that the use of an FPV drone as it flies all across the uh, Parc de Prince was pretty impressive. But also, I think people found it a little jarring, the, the, the messy video. They weren't quite sure what the vibe was on that. I mean, it's like a two-minute-long video, and you see Messi for, I don't know, three, four seconds, and it's mostly just flying around and showing off the uh, the team store. So, I mean, good on them. They sold like a million shirts in the first day. So that clearly worked. Um, but the it, it felt like a really old-school um, way to announce a player, and I, I think – you know, for a guy like Rafael Varane who wanted this move to happen, that's probably the best way to announce a player, for, you know, in his mind. I mean, hey, here's 70,000 people in Old Trafford, and they're freaking excited to see you standing right there on the pitch holding your shirt. I mean, he's got to be absolutely buzzing just ma- making this move happen. Clearly, everybody's very excited, um, you know, and if he only plays the Alex Tellez role as playing the, you know, kicking the ass role for Victor Lindelof, that's money well spent, baby. Yeah, I, I. That's exactly it. Cause you know, like Real Madrid have done things, uh, whether it's Ronaldo or even Eden Hazard, where they unveil the player and they open up the stadium and the fans come in, and all you do is see him do a few kickups and, and that's it. That 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 can't be that thrilling for a player. I think the way that they did this, where all the you know everybody shows up to the, to the ground, with to see a show, and before the show, they get a bonus. That, that that they love really 
set the tone for the afternoon. Yeah, and seeing the pictures on social too, uh, Rafael Varane taking the selfie in front of the Stratford end. Um, what a handsome guy. You know, it, it, it must be nice being uh, in peak physical condition, um, the new center back for one of the biggest teams in the entire world after coming away from one of the other biggest teams in the entire world. Just just living your best life. Shout out to Rafael Varane. And then the, the funny thing is he starts walking off the pitch, and I was like, oh, I start making jokes like, oh, that's it. He's going to go home now. And he just starts walking towards the exit door. I was like, yo, mate, the dressing room. I was like, he might actually be leaving. I was like, the dressing room's to the left. He's walking straight. And he ended up stopping behind the referee. But where did he go after that? Because you would think if he came back out onto the pitch or if he went up to Ed Woodward's box or, you know, sat with Lee Grant, wherever Lee Grant sits, they would have shown him at some point during the match and been like Rafael Varane watching his new teammates and they didn't. <laughs> yeah. That, that one kind of falls on Neil Ashton a little bit, you know, coming <laughs> from the, I myself working in the communication side of a, a, a soccer team. I, if in that situation, I want to make sure that Rafael Varane was like sitting on a throne in the middle of the Stratford end. So that way a camera could always find him. Um, but that's enough of the pregame. We were obviously very excited. The fans were old Trafford was rocking. Um, and then we got into the game, and it took a little bit. United were in leads, were kind of feeling each other out. We had talked about this last week when we were previewing the game about how, you know, the first game against Leeds at Old Trafford was pretty open ended, and then the Ellen Road game was a lot more boring um, and not as much fun to watch. Um, this one kind of took a little bit, and then uh, Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandez decided to make something happen uh, for the first goal of the of the game. Kind of, what were your thoughts then watching the first half and um, how United was kind of progressing the ball? I wasn't thrilled with it. Like it just it just seemed like Leeds had what one two corners where they didn't really do anything off them, but. It looked like they might, which caused a little bit of a gasp. They had that their first corner was that play right off the training ground that Mason Greenwood did a good job to thwart. They had that set piece where the guy got a clear header at the near post, but he put it a mile wide. And other than that, Leeds weren't getting anywhere near goal either. But for the first half hour, United weren't either. And there were there were just tons of tons of spaces to exploit that they weren't. It was always, oh, here they go in transition, and then that passes just slightly behind Mason Greenwood. So it it screws he's got to stop to reach back and get it. And that's and and then leads have recovered and all he could do is shoot from outside the box or Bruno from outside the box or Pogba from outside the box. And it just didn't seem like we can get the ball in the box, which we should have been able to do. Part of that was Dan James's first touch, or not first touch, but ability to play the ball to a teammate escaped him. And we lament that. And he was lamented. If you looked, if you went on Twitter, it was, I rec- I don't recommend you going there, Nathan, because you will not. No. <laughs> it was not a safe space for what, me. What you saw. And I was talking to somebody about this today because I finally got a chance to rewatch this match this morning. And I was like, we talk about Dan James, not everybody laments the fact that, oh, he gave the ball away there. Nobody talks about the fact that Dan James, it was his work, it was his uh, his defensive ability that won the ball back for him to get the ball in the first place. Like his work and positioning and being in the right space and and 
uh, and defensive ability that caused this player to be trapped and he coughed up the ball to James and then James screwed up the pass. But if it's not Dan James out there, if that's Rashford or if that's Mason Greenwood, that guy's probably passing the ball to his own teammate. So there's always, with everything, there's you give some and you know, or you, you, with stuff that you gain, you, you lose something else and United gain energy and work rate and, and defense in areas there, but they lose some on the ball things, but they, it, they just weren't creative enough for me. They had that one chance where Pogba got in and uh, half the bar thought he scored because he, he took that shot that went straight behind the net, hit the advertising board and, and ruffled the back of the net. And it, it wasn't that pretty. But at halftime, it looked like a standard United match from the end of last season where they seemed to be playing within themselves. They had gotten a goal. Sometimes last year they didn't. Sometimes last year they had conceded one. It seemed like they had another gear to hit. And I said, oh, the second half will be much better. And you're going to watch. They're going to score a bunch of goals in the second half. And I didn't expect Luke Ayling to equalize and make it 1-1 right away. But United responded in such a brilliant way to that. Yeah, um, I know it's going to sound like hindsight when I say this, but I I really did have a feeling when I was watching that first half, it felt like Greenwood was really up for it, playing in the center, Um, you know, kind of picking up the slack where Martial is probably still trying to get some match fitness, and that's why he came in as a sub. Um, Ensign Cavani obviously having the extra time uh, with his family and probably likely still quarantining, coming back from South America. So he wasn't available as well. And so... Ollie kind of leaned on on Mason to lead the front line from from the center. And I just I felt like watching him, he looked like he was going to get a goal. And sure enough, we found out in the second half that he would. Um, but I was just really kind of impressed with the way he was playing. And then, of course, you've got the first goal that was scored. And I don't know what Pogba ate for breakfast or, you know, what kind of juice regiment he might be doing but he needs to continue doing it because he was just he was up for it as well and uh that that first pass to unlock bruno and then bruno's first touch to bring it down and then slot it past a keeper i mean that was the kind of goal that was kind of perfect for a return to old trafford with that many people i mean it was everything about it just went exactly how they needed it to go yeah i I actually a lot of people we're talking about Mason Greenwood leading the line and everything. And I thought it was interesting because my initial thoughts on watching the game were, I don't know if he's a, if he's a striker. I don't know if he's a number nine. I went, this is kind of the way Mason Greenwood was playing was not so much as a striker, but I was like, this is how you want him to play when he plays on the right wing. And we don't see him do this enough. We don't see him get on the ball and be assertive on the ball and, and turn with it when he's out on the right wing, which would really help United. He was doing in the middle, but he was also, he started a few games down the middle last year and his issue was he kept drifting over to the right side and then we had no presence in the middle. And he was doing that again in the first half. The difference is Dan James, for what he lacks on the ball, he makes up for in other areas. He's a very smart player. And when Greenwood comes over to the right, he goes down the middle. And you you still have a presence there. And it started to feel like it was by design, especially because after the goal from when they went 1-0 up, from about the 40th minute till halftime. And then for like the first five minutes after halftime, 
United came out with Pogba playing as like the number 10, Bruno on the left, Dan James down up front, and Greenwood on the right wing. And I understand the fluidity. So when it first happened, you're like, okay. But then they had a chance to reset, and they didn't. And they went into half. They played the last five minutes like that. And then they came out of the second half exactly like that. And I'm like, it, it just seems like it's it's by design. And Ollie said something post-match afterwards um, when asked about converting Mason into a number nine. And he responded, who said I want to make him a number nine? And that's what you get. Now, when I watched the game back, there were a lot. There was a lot to love about Greenwood. Not only was he doing the things you want to see him as a right wing, which he's going to play on the right wing this year. Cavani's mm-hmm. going to play. Um, Martial will get will get chances. I think Saturday's performance might mean maybe not as many chances right away as one would have assumed a week ago when Cavani still wasn't here and Martial returned in it in the friendly against Everton, but. Greenwood's going to play on the right wing. You want to see those things. But his movement off the ball, which we said, Cavani, you got to learn these things from Cavani. And he hasn't so much done that yet, especially not in the box. It's coming. We've seen at times we've seen it, but a lot of times we don't. But this time, it was very sharp. And if you notice on his goal, how in, in check he was with everything to... As soon as Luke Shaw got the ball, he broke for the left touchline, straight to the left touchline to give Shaw an outlet. If, you know, if Shaw wants to play me all the way out wide, I'm going to get there. But then he, he looked back and saw Shaw plays this ball to Pogba. And as soon as, as soon as he sees that pass get made, he curls his run and starts running straight so that now Pogba can play me in deep. And it was so pristinely, perfectly timed that he knew exactly what he was doing. And it was Tremendous. And then on that fifth goal, he calls for the ball with, from McTominay, and he knows. I got United's problem last year a lot of times was their forwards were stagnant. And he calls for the ball to McTominay. He says, put the ball right here at my feet. And last year, he was open. But last year, he would have called for the ball at his feet and stood there and waited for the ball to come to him, and it would have. And that would have been fine. But the whole play works because he took three steps closer to McTominay and dragged Luke Ayling out with him. And because he did that, now he's able to turn and play Pogba in. And because Ayling had to follow him into midfield, Fred's got an, open, got an opening to run into and, and hit that shot. So he drops into midfield. Fred fills in. If he doesn't take those three steps, which don't seem like a lot, Luke Ayling isn't dragged out of position. Fred doesn't have the kind of area to run into. Greenwood, the ball would have reached Greenwood, but he wouldn't have been able to play that ball into Pogba as well. So all these little things that you wanted to see with Greenwood, he is adding to his game, and it's it was really surprising in a, in a good way to see that. And now it's about let's take that and let's establish that as the baseline, and then we'll we'll build further from there. Yeah, and that's the kind of progression, though, that you definitely want to see, especially we. some people definitely forget how young Greenwood is. So if he's already doing this now and he starts to turn it into a habit, we already know what kind of finisher he is and how he likes to put the ball on his left and how lethal he can be on it. And it it's just encouraging to see, um, especially like first game of the season. I, I don't know. If, with that many fans, I think – 
the right type of professional athletes probably really excited. Um, but at the same time, too, it's one of those things where I don't know. I like I got to think that if I was 19 years old playing in front of 70,000 people, I might be a, a little more nervous and I might not be uh, playing with that kind of, you know, freedom. Uh, I would be overthinking things and I wouldn't think to make little inherent runs that opens up additional space. Um but that's why Mason Greenwood's Mason Greenwood. So well, pretty excited. I, I mean, you also you remember you have to remember he did play in front mm-hmm. of a packed Old Trafford before. Um, maybe he didn't play in the derbies. He did play in a League Cup derby, but you know he was he was he was starting Europa League and League Cup matches. But he was he was coming on as a substitute at, at Old Trafford. Uh, I think he scored his first you know he scored his first goal in the League Cup or in the Europa League at a Thursday night packed Old Trafford. He scored his first Premier League goal, I believe, at Old Trafford. I don't know when that Everton goal was. It might have been after the Sheffield United goal. So I don't know. Um, know. You just talked about remembering things that you couldn't remember. That's it's me. <laughs> oh, no. I, can re- I, like, remember every match. I just, yeah. you know, I can't remember... I never I have that recall that you and Colin have when it, when Colin's like, oh yeah, that was in the 15-16 season against, uh, you know, Coventry in the FA Cup. And I was like, yeah, I those matches I don't remember because, but also because I didn't go to the bar for them, so I don't remember yeah. them because I probably fell asleep on my couch out of boredom. Since um, Colin's definitely not going to listen to this, he's a weirdo. He can't, <laughs> can't, so that's why we love him. So yes, um, I think it also helped that you're playing leads opening day of the season so the last three weeks in training in preseason Solskjaer could be in his head being like no this is what you have to do to against Leeds if you're not going to do this against Leeds we're not going to play you and he to be honest he wasn't doing that at Ellen Road there there's there were two little caveats to because remember we, we did talk about this last week is that Bielsa did counter move after the first match to help him get that nil nil at Ellen road. And that is, he just left the right side open and he doubled up on the left. He said, he said, Rashford's on the left. Luke Shaw's on the left. So if we focus on the middle and the left, this United aren't going to be able to do anything because we'll leave Dan James and Juan Bissaka open and, and say, make let's make you guys beat us. That left side triangle of James McTominay, Juan Bissaka. If you guys could beat us, Fine, but we're we're gonna let you beat us. We're gonna, not gonna let the rest of the guys beat us. And United struggled. And then it's the same concept today, except replace Rashford with Pogba, and all of a sudden the left side is so much more dangerous because Rashford's not really a creator from the left. And at times James would go down the middle, and Greenwood would come over to the right to give you more of that right-sided threat because. While James in the middle, you still have Bruno, and if, if the ball's on the right, Pogba will crash the middle. So there was a lot at play here. And like this is this is kind of the ultimate thing is going forward in the season, we don't learn anything from this game because Leeds is so unique. So it was a good game for Mason Greenwood to play striker and where you can move him all over the pitch. In a game where he's gonna need to get physical in the box and you want him to be a focal point fixed target there is he ready to do that i don't know and that's why i said like he'll continue to play on the right wing he'll get his chances as the number nine but he's going to continue to play on the right wing too because he may not be ready to do it against a variety of different opponents it's just that leads are so unique that 
United are so built to exploit them. Um, so anyway, we, we head into the second half then. Um, up 1-0. Vibes are feeling pretty good. Um, I quite literally did walk to my coffee shop over by my house and, and got my got my coffee. Uh, I was actually wearing my Martial jersey and I got dapped up by somebody. So shout out to that guy at the coffee shop uh, for having good taste. Um, so we're you know, sitting on a bit of a high here going into the second half and Leeds decided to equalize in the 48th minute. And all of a sudden, you know, for half a second, I was sitting there thinking like, maybe this is a good thing or maybe, or this is a bad thing. Cause this is, that's one of those test your character moments for United. Cause they could all of a sudden it could have been a slog again. Um, but 52nd minute Greenwood puts one in, puts us up to one. And at that point, I mean, I don't know if the game was in doubt or, you know, if you could have been confident enough to say that the game was no longer in doubt, but to see that response that quickly was, was pretty encouraging. So kind of that first, you know, 10 minutes of the, of the second half, what were your thoughts? Cause you've got ailing equalizing Greenwood scores, you know, four minutes later, and then two minutes after Greenwood scores, Bruno makes it three, one. And all of a sudden it, it's looking like the doors are getting, you know, broken off of the place. Yeah, the ailing goal, I I was more just like, God, the virtual that I'm going to hear right now. Everybody's going to look for something, for someone to blame. And it's like sometimes you just hit a ball that freaking sweetly. Like yeah. Ailing was ailing was smiling when before that ball hit the net. Like as soon as he hit the, it left his foot. Um he was smiling because he hit that ball so purely and people blame Paul. Paul was never in a million years going to get over there and, and close it down the way that you're guarding a throw in the entire, the entire half the team is pushed up against that right touch line. So even if that's Marcus Rashford, like leads move the ball so quickly over to a center back, you don't think, Oh, I got to close down a center back. It's not so you think like let me just make sure that I I get over and cut off his passing angles back to the middle because yeah if you're center from there shoot that ball all you want that what's the xg on that like 0.01 so one out of 100 times you're gonna hit that that smoothly and it's gonna go in you don't play for the shot so Pogba was slow to get over there sure but Marcus Rashford would have been equally as slow and Anthony Martial would have been even slower and Bruno Fernandez would have been slow it can't it, the the problem with it was it. It came from the same problem United had have had forever. United had their own throwing. And Aaron Juan Basaka is standing on the touchline with nowhere to go. And no one's moving. No one's giving him an option. And eventually Juan Basaka throws it in. And McTominay first touch just hoofs it out of bounds. He goes, oh, Leeds ball now. And Leeds throw in one pass, ailing shot. And it's just the fact that we can't even get the ball in play on a throw in in our own half of the pitch is that's bad. It's bad. Whatever the clip is of the Spanish guy yelling, um, B A D bad. <laughs> so I was, you know, I, but I did remember like the vibe at old Trafford is way different to the vibe of a couple idiots at the bar and, uh, a couple more idiots on the Twitter and that this is a team at old Trafford. They're going to get behind them. And I didn't think Mason Greenwood was going to, beat a guy out for for pace like that 
I don't. I didn't think Mason Greenwood was a oh play him in behind guy. I thought oh if that's if you play that ball down the right side to Rashford or even Martial, like you're good there. But Mason Greenwood, I don't know if he'll be able to hold them off. But once he got into the box from that angle, I went well. Mason Greenwood is like Robin Van Persie, where he'll hit that goalkeeper gave him no angle to shoot at other than you can put this on one trajectory into the side netting and. Van Persie and Mason Green are the only two people that I have confidence in them finishing that. Like, the XG on that Greenwood shot was not high at all, but it's Mason Greenwood. You expect him to finish it. Yeah. And before we could even breathe or catch our breath from being like, all right, we've restored order. Bruno's scoring again. And then Bruno scored, a, 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 like, immediately again. There were, there were, like, three goals in very quick succession, and you were just like, yep, we're over here. And by the time... You got to the point where Fred scored, and it was like, man, even Fred's getting in on the act. This, it was game over. That was that. Like Fred could not have scored one of the first four goals of the game. Fred had to have scored the goal where it was like, oh, yeah, it's a party and everybody's just just messing with you now, Leeds. Well, you bring up Fred, and I'm glad he scored because it gave me a chance to recycle the uh, the tropical storm Fred meme. Uh, <laughs> I, I was so glad to have that happen. Um, so the interesting thing about this game, too, is United started to break it open and Leeds were like, all right, we're cooked. Um, Bruno Fernandez, three goals, none of them from the penalty spot. Eat your words, haters. <laughs> and the only thing that could top that was uh, Paul Pogba getting four assists, which is um, unnatural for most players to be able to do. Um, unless, of course, you're a critic like Graham Souness, who suggests that a player worth 89 million pounds, which is what United paid for him, uh, should be able to get four assists every game. So that's realistic. So he should uh, double the Premier League's assist record in a, in a fourth of the season. Yeah, well, I th- quick mass, it'd be like 150 assists if he got four, four a game for 38 Premier League games. Yeah. I mean... Um, that, that's a pretty good return on investment. I, I think we'd also be the greatest soccer team to ever play. Did you so. see that graphic, though, where it was like Paul Paul? It's, he's either like the seventh or the eighth player to ever do it. Yeah, funny enough, Harry Kane one is the only, one of the other ones. It was all Arsenal and Tottenham players. He's the yeah. only player from outside North London to ever do it. It was like it was Kane. There was another Spurs player. And then it was like Henri, uh, Burkamp, Petit, a bunch of Arsenal guys. And oddly, and then like two or three Spurs players, but Pogba was the only one from outside, outside North London. But this was a fresh Bruno Fernandez. We've all been saying, well, Bruno needs rest. Bruno needs rest. And yeah, it's also nice when Bruno doesn't have to do everything. Like this was, this was the other issue with the game at Ellen Road was when Bruno got on the ball. Cause remember the game at Old Trafford, Bruno did a lot by not doing anything. All he did was drag Calvin Phillips all over the pitch and open up spaces, and and he did that on Saturday as well, which gave McTominay and Fred freedom to run forward. At Ellen Road, it was harder for him to do that because, again, like if he went off to the right-hand side, they were like, yeah, go. Like we're, we're focused on the middle and the left, and when Bruno got the ball, he'd play somebody in, and... Either they wouldn't make the run or they just it's Dan James is wide open and it's like you're just not good enough to do this. Or 
Bruno would drag somebody out of position, the ball would, you know, be at the feet of somebody else now with tons of space. Bruno would make the right run, and no one would give him the ball. It would, that Leeds match was the most frustrated I'd ever seen Bruno Fernandez be because, as Giselle Brady will let you know, like, Bruno Fernandez cannot pass and receive the ball. He can, he can only do one. Or, or, you know, on a given ball, he can only pass it or he can receive a pass. And in that match against Leeds, he was making those off-ball runs and just no one can find him. And now you put him on the pitch with, with Paul Pogba and he's making the same runs and Paul Pogba is just, just finding him and picking him out. And it's everybody keeps saying, oh, why do we never see this Pogba for United? It's like Pogba's been doing this for United. For he's years. been injured too. It's he's been injured, but when he plays, look, he came project restart. What's the first thing he did when he got back on the field against Spurs? First, he won a penalty to equalize the game, and then he hits that long diagonal to Rashford, which he did when he came on to Everton against Everton last week in the friendly. He hit that long diagonal to Daniel James. That James, if he had a left foot, could have brought it down, but instead put it on his right foot and got fouled. And then he did it again. And in the Europa League final, he hit that pass with the outside of his boot to Greenwood that got him down low, and Greenwood just didn't do anything with it. Like, Pogba's been playing these balls for years. It's His teammates aren't doing anything with it, and now he's got a Bruno Fernandes in there who's making these runs, and United have a player who can, who can pass him the ball, and they're putting him in a position where he has the freedom to move around. And he's further up the pitch so he can... He can influence things like that. And he's got two midfielders behind him, so he doesn't have to worry about, oh, I, I better take the safe option or I, or if I lose the ball here, it's a dangerous position. If he loses the ball, like, Bruno Fernandes loses the ball a lot too. Probably just as much, if not more, as Pogba. They don't end up, they're not as dangerous because they play Bruno Fernandes higher up the pitch. It's the same thing with Pogba. Like, you don't want him to lose the ball right in front of the defense. Don't play him right in front of the defense. And it was just so glorious that, you have this guy because previously the only guy that we had seen making runs like the ones Bruno was, was making on a given day was, was Lingard. And it was like, Oh, you pass Lingard the ball and he can't do anything with it. His first touch would be terrible. Now it's Bruno's making these runs. You have someone that could pass it to him. And suddenly you're going to find that Bruno is going to be scoring a lot more goals and won't be as tired because he's not asked to do everything. It's nice that he can do everything. It's nicer that he doesn't have to. Yeah, and, you know, we always wondered when Bruno first came in, and I think a lot of people were still wondering, like, how do Bruno and Pogba coexist? And it's like, this is it right here. Like, like, yeah, Pogba is built to set players up and make them look good. Like, that's his biggest strength, whether it's, you know, hitting a frozen rope halfway across the pitch or – even just the little flicks like where you can just loft it right above the back line as Bruno's doing a perfectly timed run and Bruno brings it down on his, you know, with his foot. And it's just like Pogba sees the game in a different way than most midfielders do. And he has all the tools in the toolbox to get the ball where it needs to be. And so that's always been Pogba's reason why he doesn't have four assists every game. Cause we haven't necessarily had people that finish his passes. Right. And so, and it's, you know, right. Like everybody, you're exactly right, Nathan. Everybody made a big deal about this. No, only only you only Twitter with their Pogba FC and Bruno FC was like, well, who's the guy at this team? And it's like, no, they both make the team way better. This is something that I spoke about a lot um, at the beginning of last season was if you go back to Project Restart or to the season before that, 
United's numbers with Pogba in the team versus without Pogba were, they were very good with Pogba, very bad without him. When Bruno came in, they, they drew three out of six games. So they got some wins, they got some points, but their numbers didn't get any better. It was, they were pulling some results out of their ass. And when Pogba came back on the team and you had the two of them, all of a sudden they got really good. It's not Bruno, it's not Pogba, it's both of them. And like you said, Pogba lives to create for people. That's, that's the thing is he's very good at getting himself into dangerous areas to score. He's a very bad finisher. Like we saw that on Saturday, he missed that chance. We've seen him get, uh, he's very good at getting on the end of a header when you cross a ball in or take a set piece. He's very good at getting on the end of it. But like Maguire, the two of them, very good at getting their heads on the end of it. Very bad at actually putting it in the net. I'm like, how many times, not to go all Colin on you, but in that 2016-17 season when he first arrived, he hit the woodwork like six, seven, eight times. And it's like, yeah, because like he's just not a great finisher. He's just good at getting himself, but he is a great creator. And when you have Bruno, who is also good at getting into those positions, Bruno is a clinical finisher when he gets inside the box. Yeah, yeah, he'll take 80,000 shots from outside the box and he'll score on a few of them. But like from inside the box, Bruno's tremendous. Which is why it shocks you when he like misses that chance that he did against Liverpool last year. So it's such a great combination to have. And really from the moment that they were probably the moment that Bruno set up Pogba for that goal off that corner kick and they were piggyback riding each other against Aston Villa two years ago. Like these guys love each other. Well, and I mean, we've reported ourselves on, uh, on the Busby babe, like Bruno said that he wanted to see Pogba recommit and then he would recommit like early. Uh, Cause you know, United's going to be up against it with, when Bruno, it's time to finally renegotiate Bruno Fernandez's contract. Um, there's going to be a lot of negotiating power uh, uh, in in Bruno's uh, realm of things. One because of how popular he is as a player and his production that he's provided at United. I mean, apparently it's done. Apparently that new contract is done. It's been negotiated, and Bruno's just like, nah, like I'm good right now. I want to see Pogba resign. Like they they wanted to sign him like back in November. Yeah, and it's just. Instead of saying, I'm going to attach another year of my life onto this team, I'm going to, for more money, I'm going to make sure that we continue going in the direction that we go in. And, and that's fair to say, after the summer we had last season, now this summer we have this year is a different story. And perhaps Bruno is going to come back to the negotiation table and be like, yeah, this would have been a good... Uh, a good salary to pay me last year, but this year you're going to have to up that a bit. Yeah. Well, and we already know just based on some of the reports with PSG and all the, all the rumblings as, as they're trying to make a run on Pogba. Um, if he manages to go out on a free, um, you know, he's going to have significant salary demands as well. And it's kind of an interesting catch 22 that United find themselves in as you know, one of the great successes of the Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer era was getting the bloated wages to start getting, you know, down. Um, and we might have to see that again. However, that is how you keep the great players that you have cultivated and brought in when, as you always point out, Polly, you live in rainy Manchester where the food's crap. Yeah. So I also, I, I ultimately think this, the way this sets up, 
is an absolute no-win scenario for Pogba and his legacy at United. Unless, even when he's not having as great seasons, um, United are winning titles. But even then, I think he'll get virtual and hate throughout the season when he's not performing because Paul Bog was 28 years old. Yes. I mean, let's, let's, let's think about it this way. There's two ways that this plays out. He's not getting sold this year, this summer, which, I mean, that would be insanely dumb for whoever buys him, and it would be insanely dumb for United to sell him. But There's just not a lot of time to negotiate that either at this point. Right. But anyway, no one's buying him. No one's coming into the store and being like, I'm going to take a Paul Pogba. How much, how much is it worth? He's 28 years old. He will be 29 at the end of the season. He turns 29 in March. If he stays fit, that is one thing. And if he plays like this all season, which he won't, but if he earns the wages that he demands, that's one thing. He will never do that again. Like, this is the absolute peak of his career. He's going to be 29 years old. Like, his best years are the past few years. Mm -hmm. And while he may perform at somewhat this level next year and the year before, like, if he signs a five-year deal, he ain't performing at that level for the next five years. But his wages are going to be even higher and be demanding that he performs more than this. So... If he stays at United and earns the wages that he wants and earns even higher wages than what he's, even if not the wages that he wants, higher wages than what he's getting, he will never be able to perform up to his contract. And if he, if somebody else gives him those wages, he won't live up to it for them either. But at, for a United perspective, People uh, will be livid about the fact that he left for free twice and people will blame him for leaving. People will blame the club for allowing him to leave twice for free and people will blame him for leaving the club for free. And I think that's incredibly unfair. I saw someone did a thread yesterday where they, they straight up said, like, at this point, he either needs to commit or say, I'm not going to sign a new contract so United can sell him this year and get a fee for him and then replace him. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing in the world. This is not Paul Pogba's fault because first of all, he could say, I am not going to sign a new contract. And all that's going to do is let teams know, oh, okay, we can get him for free next year. If he says, I'm not going to sign a new contract and United go, oh, we could sign him. How much are you getting for him? 30, 40 million? in a market where nobody has money and the teams that barely do have money or bending the rules are spending 250 million on Kane and Grealish and God only knows how much on Leo Messi and all the other free quote unquote transfers that they, that they brought in. They're not going to spend money on Paul Paul and they'll say, I can get him next year for free. Well, I think that's going to get enough money to replace him. Even if he says I'm leaving, but even if he says I'm leaving, no one is going to say, fine, we'll buy him. They'll just say, we'll take him next year. So blaming Paul Pogba for not clarifying his future be, like so that United could sell him now, that's not Paul Pogba's fault. Because even if he said, I'm not going to resign, he ain't going anywhere. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw the, the best valuation right now based on the fact that, you know, he 
his contract runs out in a year is I think he's worth like technically like 55 million. If, if somebody went, wanted to put in like a high end bid for that. And you know what, if United accepts a 55 million bid, like one good on them, at least for getting some money back, but they'll also get killed for, you know, losing 30 million plus on that, on a player that they broke a, a transfer fee record for too. So, I mean, it's just like, it is a really weird brainstorm situation. His replacement would cost twice as much. His yeah. replacement would have been Jack Grealish. That would have been the ideal replacement, and that would have cost twice as much money as that. And yeah. who who are you getting to replace him? Because anybody that it is, you you can't you can't spend 55, 60, 70 million on a player that's a year or two younger than Pogba. Like if you want to replace Paul Pogba right now, this is why it's so crucial to get Kamavinga in because when Paul Pogba, if you re-sign Paul Pogba, if you sign Kamavinga and you re-sign Paul Pogba, when Pogba's legs start to go and it's like, oh, you know, you don't want him playing 120 minutes a week, like maybe one match and maybe 70 minutes in each match twice a week or seven, something like that, or th- four out of six, four out of seven matches. Then you let Kamavinga settle in and like in two, three years when Pogba has to play even less, Kamavinga's right in hitting his prime. So you, if you replace Paul, if you, if you sold the Pogba right now for not a lot of money, because you wouldn't get a lot, I don't know who's buying him, especially given the wage demands that he has, which right now, nobody wants to pay him that they want to see him stay healthy for a year. If you're going to replace him with a 26, 27 year old, you're just going to have the same problem in three years. So you need to replace him with a 20, 21 year old. And then you have that waiting time. And, by the time they're ready to go, now Bruno Fernandez is on the way out. Like you have this team right now that is the top end players are hitting their prime and they're supported by some young guys who have phenomenal potential who can play roles now and who are still getting better. And then you're focused, you, you have your Hannibal Medjbury's and your Ahmad's and the, the guys that they're bringing in at the academy level to step in to the next, so when they're the young guys with potential, your Mason Greenwoods and Rashford's, they're hitting their prime, while Bruno and Pogba and McGuire are the older heads, the older heads who can who could still play a role, but they're not. You're not relying on them to carry the team anymore. All right, so this is how my dumb brain works, and I'm like doubling down on one of my hot takes that I had in our last podcast. Um. If Paul Pogba puts pen to paper and recommits his future to Manchester United for the next four or five years, knowing who his agent is, do you see that as a near guarantee that Holland is coming in next year? I've thought about this before. <laughs> I've thought ultimately just give Pogba like like bend a little bit towards Pogba and and be like, all right, but Mino, like now you steer this guy. No. this guy over over to us and and then just and like and then operate under the assumption that Mino Real is going to run his mouth constantly uh like because guess what everybody wants Erling Holland, but guess who's working behind Erling Holland too and guess who's going to try to move Erling Holland? You, you think Mino Real is going to be like ah yeah sign my 20 year old for the next 12 years and you know just give him some fairly incremental raises along the way no he's gonna demand 
He's going to demand Leo Messi. If Erling Holland moves to United and continues to score at the pace that he's scoring for Dortmund. He's going to get the Bryce Harper contract. Yeah, he's going to demand Messi-type wages and a massive commission to himself just for allowing you to sign this other guy's. I mean, Real is not even his agent. He's like the guy that's brokering the deal. I, w- I wonder if that's like part of the underhand dealings that are happening too. Because obviously, like if Pogba goes on a on a free, then that's a commission that Mino doesn't get to make on the transfer. Granted, he will probably not make on the transfer, money. but he'll make it on the signing on fees and stuff. He'll make it on the signing on fees, but like he's not going to make as much but money. That's, well, that's it, the whole maybe thing except is, with PSG, but that's that's basically been the whole thing. Is is Mino Rayola's job is to get his client the most money and. That doesn't necessarily mean moving him from one team to another. That just means making other teams think there are other teams in the mix. That means, you know, oh, we have an offer from that. And and drumming up a market for your player. And when Mino spoke up before the Leipzig match, there wasn't a huge market for Paul Pogba. He was 28. He was injured again. Um, he had been He'd been playing well this year, but not playing consistently either. It was like he had been dropped for the big games. He had been dropped against Chelsea. He had been dropped against PSG. And his, the first month of the season, he had played like shit. So he's trying to create a market. And by, when he came out and said his future at United was done, that was basically trying to get United to accept any deal that came in for him. Because, oh, I know that the Real Madrids right now are struggling. They're not going to be able to pay the money that United want, they're going to need a cut rate deal if they're going to have any chance of signing this guy. And his job is just to, to create that thing and, can, and really control the narrative in the media. And when people say like, oh, is he talking, you know, Pog was giving him his blessing on this. And like, yes, he is, but he's also not. Pog was, the thing about when you sign with Mino Real is you're you're you sign for Mino Real to say like you're you're really good at what you do go do that, and yep. Mino is gonna go and do it his way, and if so, you allow that because it annoys the fans and it may annoy the executives in the club. It, you know who it doesn't annoy the players. They don't give a shit. The only thing they care about is is Paul Pogba showing up to work on time. Is he acting professional? Is he giving his all? If he hits those three things, they don't care. And I know this because I've spoken to players within the United dressing room, not current players, but players who have been in the dressing room with United with at the same time as Pogba. And players in other sports who have also have teammates that go through contract issues or negotiations and holdouts, et cetera. And their answers are universal, is... I don't really like it's a business and everybody's got to get theirs. I have no problem with him. If he, if he deserves a lot of money, I have no problem with him fighting for every dollar or pound or Euro. The only thing I care about is, is he showing up to work on time? Is he acting professional? Is he giving his all? Is he giving us a good chance to win? Is he trying to win? Is, if the answer is yes to those questions, I could care less what his agent is doing or saying. And yeah, we certainly haven't gotten any indications that any of Paul Pogba's teammates have a problem. I love him. Yeah. So, I don't know. That, that, I don't want to run myself into circles. It, it's, I mean, look, there's way too many months ahead before we get to this, you know, potentially you want, the release Holland. clause trigger in, in the winter and then the summer signing this year. But 
if you want Erling Holland, just be prepared to be dealing with this again. And guess what? As long as Erling Holland shows up to work and is putting in the work and putting in the effort, his teammates aren't going to care. But Mino Real is going to keep running his mouth because he's going to try to drum up a market for him. And he's going to try to do that this year. I mean, you'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if he does because the thing is, oh, he's got the release clause for Dortmund. But now, oh, okay, so $75 million is is easy. But now who's going to pay us the most? Yeah. I remember, Romelu Lukaku was going to Chelsea. And then Mino Reola, who was his agent at the time, called him up and said, no, you're not. You're going to United. That's how, that's how Mino Reola works. So, like, yeah, if you think that Mino does every, runs everything by the player and doesn't go rogue at times, think again. Yeah, it, it's very curious. And as we continue to kind of, like, look at what the market looks like, there's not a lot of teams that are going to be able to secure Erling Holland's signature next year. It really is. Also, looking at what the market looks like is is futile because two weeks ago, it looked drastically different. Two weeks ago, Leo Messi was at Barcelona. Nobody even thought Lukaku was going to Chelsea. Yeah. And And Warren was in a situation. Two hours, everybody all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, everybody seemed to make deals for strikers. And it was like, oh, United are kind of the only team that left. And you look at at how hard Ali worked to convince. Cavani to stay because he knew I need one more year I just yeah. need one more year. And, and why they signed Cavani in the first place to a two-year deal because they were like that's we have a plan in place for two years from now we need someone in the meantime yeah and the market's just crazy because we're seeing this log jam of you know can't get rid of uh your United's kind of have to you know have a staring contest with West Ham over Jesse Lingard you're hearing reports about how City were interested in potentially selling Bernardo Silva cuz he's a redundancy but Bernardo Silva is too good to go for a lesser fee um but he's not good enough to necessarily stay on that team and so you you've got less and less suitors that can afford him right now and so when we're talking about the stratosphere players like a Paul Pogba and an Erling Holland, I mean, United's going to be negotiating with PSG, potentially Manchester City, and Real Madrid always finds a way. So, but outside of that, I mean, it's not like there's a lot of a lot of clubs that are going to be able to afford both the wages that are going to be commanded and the transfer fee. So it'll it'll yeah, be interesting. I, I think since there are a lot of articles being written now. About about those kinds of players, it was in the New York Times, uh, yeah. just because the Premier League is so rich that all of a sudden, that you have all these players and Andreas Pereira and, and Jesse Lingard was signed to a hundred thousand pound a week deal during the Jose Mourinho days, yep. and there's just so many teams where you're good enough, you're you're more than good enough, but the to play. But because of your wages, I actually read something interesting that basically if Pereira were to take a pay cut to leave United, they would still have to pay him. Um, so that's interesting. So, like, just getting him off their books isn't really enough. Um, and because all these players are on bloated wages now, yeah, it's one thing to, to look at Lingard and Pereira, who are academy players that got contracts that maybe they shouldn't have, but... Everybody says, why are only United struggle to, to sell their dead weight? Yeah, well, Danny Drinkwater is still playing at Chelsea. Uh, Mishi Batuai. Chelsea gave him a new contract last year. <laughs> He's yeah. still at Chelsea. But um, well, I, I thought I heard a report, too. It's like signing that City now can't get rid of because they are very good players, but that other outside of the Premier League, teams cannot afford their wages. Yeah. 
that's why United needs an oil shell company. So that way they can just put guys on special special salaries, like what Chelsea does with some of their players who are not loaned out, but also not playing for that first team either. It's also why I think Louis van Gaal doesn't get enough credit for like the clear out he did. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we are we're already talking about summer 2022, and it is uh, we're entering match week two of the 2021-22 season. Um, so we're going to do a quick vibe check real quick, uh, Polly. And then if you feel like previewing Southampton, we can do that. They are certainly an interesting looking team right now, losing their top score and Danny Ings, um, from last year. I think that Hassan Hoodle's probably a much better manager than a lot of people would be willing to give him credit because unfortunately he has two, um, nine goal losses in two years, which is a very ugly stain to have on your coaching career. But he seems like probably a good egg as far as coaches are concerned. Ralph's a so, manager. It's just a matter of like Southampton kind of taking the floor out from beneath him. And it's questionable what's going to happen. And they didn't look great last week. And United have to strike while the iron's hot because remember two years ago, United were better than Southampton two years ago and one game was a fluke in terms that uh all of a sudden two left backs got hurt and united had to finish the game with 10 men and there's nobody on the back post and southampton tied it the other one was they just didn't southampton weren't good at the beginning of the season and united didn't take advantage and they they gave a crappy goal and they never scored a second and and they ended up with a 1-1 draw when they were very much the better side and last year that kind of evened itself out they southampton scored two goals out of nothing United won in dramatic fashion when really they should have won 3-1, 3-0. And the 9-0 was, uh, I mean, that game was nothing, was over a minute into the game when Southampton went down to 10 men. It was like, you're not going to be able to play at this, the way you want to play in at the end of January, coming off the festive period and the month of January and the brutality of winter, play the way that Hassan Hoodle's teams want to play. You can't do that with 10 men for 90 minutes. No. Um, so the vibes so right now are very good. Yes. But United need to win on Sunday. And so they need to win. So they need to win because when's the last time they won their first two games of the season? Well, it certainly wasn't last year. It was, be- it was before Alexis Sanchez ever put on a red shirt. Yeah. Um, they, that's the thing is, is they had this chance. They, they came out, they won 4-0 against Chelsea two years ago. And had two very winnable games, three very winnable games to follow that in, in Wolves, Crystal Palace, Southampton, and they didn't win any of them. So they need to win this game. Yeah, I mean, United's in a situation right now where if they want to take that next step and they want to make it a title race, they have to do what Manchester City does, where they do string together all these crazy wins. Because like right now, United's got the red carpet rolled out right in front of them up until October 16th when they play Leicester. Yeah, they got to build a lead. Like, yeah. I mean, you've got it realistically, they need to start the season. Um, seven and oh, seven, oh, and oh, I mean, I, that, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but. Well, I think all these teams you, you are drop winnable. points here and there. Yeah. But, but it, I think Southampton people, I mean, United fans are the only, the only fan group in the world where, you name a team and they'll they'll talk, oh, 
they're really good. Southampton, they press a lot, and that could cause United problems. Oh, Wolves, they sit back a lot. That could cause United problems. Oh, wait, they're so unique. That could cause a lot of problems. Oh, Chelsea are just good, so how could we beat that? Every team, United fans are scared of. But I think the Southampton team is one of the worst in the world. Like, I think Hassan Will has to do a real good job to keep them up this year. I think they're actual relegation candidates. But you got Southampton, Wolves, Newcastle are a bad team. West Ham are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but West Ham, you should. They're beatable, but they're good. I mean, United, they're better. Yeah. They're good. United, they're better. But I could see going to not Upton Park, but Olympic Stadium, I, where United always play like crap, I could see them dropping points in that game. Also, it's on my birthday, and two years ago when I turned 30, United lost to West Ham on my birthday. So Not a vibe check right there. Uh, Aston Villa also could give you problems, but you should win that game. Everton, Rafa Benitez could give you problems, and Leicester. So, like, between those four games, you could see them winning two, and you could see them winning four, and you could see them winning three. I don't think they'll win four. But, yeah, I mean, the, the other advantage that they have, too, is Newcastle, Villa, and Everton are all at home. So the tricky ones, you would think, would be on the road more than likely, um, which is funny because this is a team that went unbeaten on the road last year. But I think water's going to find its level on that one, especially with fans returning to the stadiums. And we saw that almost all the or all the home teams won this year or this this past week. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. Um if, if you can do it inside two minutes or less, if you're Raf, Raf Hassan Hoodle, what did you see from United that you're trying to exploit against Le- from the Leeds game? Yeah. I mean, but that's the thing is you can't do anything against from a Leeds match. There's nothing mm-hmm. in that Leeds match. Like, who knows if United are even going to put the same team out? Sorry, Rolf. <laughs> Well, um, I think uh, we're at a clean hour at this point, so we'll we'll probably uh, wrap this one up. Um, So do do you want to give a score prediction for the Southampton game? No. I think United win it, though. Okay. Do you think think it's handily? I think win it. It might not be comfortable the whole time, but at the end of the day, It'll, you know, by the, you know, at the 90th minute, you won't be shouting, just biting your nails, blow the whistle. You'll just be like, oh, we're seeing this one out. Um, does Sancho start? Because yeah. we didn't even talk about Sancho. Are you kidding me? We just did an he, hour he came long on podcast. And did nothing. He came on and did nothing. We but went at the same time, we, like, we spent a year plus talking about how amazing it would be to have Jaden Sancho in a United shirt. And then he's played in a game and we didn't talk about him for an hour. Came on and he, he got some minutes. Jaden Sancho masterclass against Southampton injected into he my didn't, veins. He didn't score in the friendly today. He didn't score in the friendly today. So now we gotta, we gotta not talk about him because we gotta keep the pressure off him. So it's not, so it doesn't him not scoring or assisting doesn't become a thing. Like we just have to let him do his thing, I th- but he starts. He comes into the team over James. I don't think Rafael Varane starts. Yeah. I w- one, I don't think Lindelof gave Ali any reason to think about putting in Varane, but he still hasn't really practiced with the t- team either. So. He's been playing in the friendly today, which is like, 
like, it's not like he's not in shape. Like, and the friendly is there to get match fitness. You couldn't even put him on for a half hour. Like, yeah. so like how out of shape did you get between the euros and now? Yeah. It's a friendly against Burnley. Who cares if you like haven't trained with your teammates that much? So the fact that he didn't play and Maguire and Lindelof both did like, yeah, he's not going to play on Sunday. I don't, I don't see him starting Sunday. Um, you think he goes Greenwood again in the center? Yeah, I I think Sancho for James the only change. Okay, so winning comfortably down on the south coast, Sancho over James. I like it. I'm into it. Um, hopefully, Jaden, we're talking about you a lot more on the on the next Bus Bay podcast. Uh, we're definitely gonna hear something about that at least from Colin because that that's kind of insane to me though. Had <laughs> a whole hour. We talked about Paul Pogba getting transferred. But we didn't talk about Jaden Sancho finally wearing a Manchester United shirt. Didn't give us anything to talk about. Yeah. Well, I mean, he he wore the penny and he, he he warmed up on the sidelines, and I was certainly excited. I used an Undertaker meme uh, for when Jaden Sancho came out on the field, so I'm a, I'm excited to. Here's what I said: if I were if I were Jaden Sancho, I would have several times during the first half, and like right after that Luke Ayling goal, I would have just gotten up and warmed up, just to like. Just to get the fans going, like, because yeah. as soon as they see you warming up, they're gonna go nuts. Um, and and then I was I was kidding around about like when when Ailing did score that goal, and like Sancho would would get up and Ollie would be like, no, Donnie, Donnie, sit down, not you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> or that, or that at one point Donnie would turn to uh, like Varane or something, or the the camera would pan to the United bench and Donnie would be sitting there in a massage chair with like a masseuse, being like. Yeah, I booked the appointment for the second half because I knew I'd be free, and I got plans later. Massage chair would be nice. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a spot, a partnership somewhere that uh, Ed Woodward can can work out for them. Um, it's a second half massage because he knows he's not going to be playing. <laughs> I mean, there's there's worse way. I mean, you get to sit in one of the best seats in the house in Old Trafford in a massage chair. And watch uh, Jaden Sancho in a Manchester United shirt. Do we mention Jaden Sancho plays for Manchester United now? pretty sick um well in closing let's let's wrap this thing up because we we we've gone over um so excited match week one's over the the anticipation we got through it we had a good result against Leeds, a rival um you know i'm checking my own vibes monitor right now vibes are good vibes are real good we're at like 6.9 on the vibe scale we're looking to get to uh 42.0 um, and that would be probably hit if Jaden Sancho goes and gets a hat trick against Southampton. So we'll hope for that. Um, and one more thing that we'll hope for is that eventually Graham Sunes is kicked off of punditry because he's an absolute fucking joke. Um, how dare you talk about Paul Pogba like that after he gets a four assist game? Um, let's all just thank Micah Richards for being there and sticking up for Paul because nobody else was willing to do it, and it was despicable watching that segment. Anywho. Um, Polly, you got anything you want to plug? I don't. No tactical analysis. No, I didn't you write anything. There's no tactical analysis. Put, you're playing leads. You played you leads. Hey, things. just run around and uh, the field's open. You 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 wrote your first three things I learned. I did, and and I wrote how all of it was. We didn't learn anything. <laughs> well. Um, if you've got anything that you're working on, then you'll be able to plug it on the next episode, which we will hopefully have 
Colin Dam's hosting again because I clearly don't know how to work the clock here um, <laughs> and speed things up. So um, for Polly Questel, I'm Nathan Einschel. Until next time.